0: Well, um, on Wednesday this week, I was in Edinburgh. Um, I wasn't on holiday. I wasn't uh, at the castle. I wasn't at the zoo. I was at a meeting of the Edinburgh and Perth Presbytery Personnel Committee. And I was there to help administer uh, some free church candidate exams. And I know that telling you that this evening... Uh, makes you all feel green with envy, um, in, in danger of sinful thoughts, uh, and so on. More likely, it probably makes you wonder, what on earth am I talking about? What, what has that got to do with this sermon? These, those meetings are really encouraging. As some of us sat in the uh, ETS, the Edinburgh Theological Seminary dining room, We chatted, we had lunch with some of the students, uh, we prayed with them, uh, we had to test them on one or two things, but it was a really encouraging time. Um, Andy, the elders, and I, we're about to start reading a book, I think I can tell you this, I don't think it's top secret, we're about to start reading a book called The Shepherd Leader, and we're hoping it's going to be a really helpful book uh, for us to read. Why do I begin like that? Why do I talk about stuff like that? Well, I think uh, what we have in First Thessalonians two one to sixteen really connects with those two things, Uh, because what we have in here, and again, it's sort of overlap from what Andy was talking about this morning. But these verses, they're all about they're a portrait of Paul's ministry. They're a picture of Paul's ministry, and they're a picture of the kind of response that ministry produced. And the more I've looked at these verses, the more I've studied them, the more beautiful I think these verses are. What Paul is doing here is he's continuing to show these believers just how much they mean to him, just how much he loves them, how precious they are. And I hope by the time we come to the end, you'll agree with me, you'll think that these verses are beautiful. My prayer is that this part of God's word, it will make us long to live in a way that brings glory to the lord jesus christ and as we look at these verses this evening i'm going to repeat myself last week i had two big points uh, one was longer than the first was a lot longer than the second and it's the same this evening two big points the first is the longest and the first is this verses 1 to 12 in these verses we see a faithful ministry verses 1 to 12 a faithful ministry now, the bonds between um, Paul and these believers, they were really deep. Paul had not known these Christians for very long. But as sometimes can be the case, you can not, know, not have known a Christian, another Christian for very long and yet suddenly feel very, very close to them. It was like that with Paul in this church. And in chapter 1, as we saw last week, he remembered them. He prayed for them. And as chapter 2 begins, this, this whole idea of remembering, it continues. Paul wants his friends to remember him. He wants them to remember his ministry. What was it like? What was it not like? Notice first what it wasn't, what Paul wasn't. This is really important. There are three little words that all begin with the letter N. That help us here. I wonder if you can see. Can you see the word not? The word not is in verse 1, verse 3, verse 4, verse 8. Can you see the word never? It's in verse 5, I think, if I'm correct. Can you see the word nor? It's in verses 5 and 6 as well. Not, never, nor. It's striking, isn't it? As Paul speaks about his ministry, he wants these believers to Remember that there were things he wouldn't do. There were things he wouldn't say. Christian ministers and elders have to be like that. They have to be people who won't do certain things. And the first thing Paul refused to do was to be deterred. To be deterred. Look how he begins. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain... But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Now, what we need to realize is that when Paul came to these Christians, when he came to Thessalonica, Paul had come straight from prison. You can read it in Acts chapter 16. Paul and Silas, they'd been attacked, they'd been beaten, they'd been thrown in jail, they'd been treated in ways that Roman citizens shouldn't be treated. And so you can imagine Paul, he comes into this other city. Uh, Maybe he's tempted to, to wonder what's going to wait for me, what's going to be in this place as I come into it. And yet Paul goes straight towards the conflict he goes straight into a what we might call a conflict zone now Marianne and I we've just um, finished watching a crime program called Shetland some of you might have seen it I won't give too much away if you've never seen Shetland Uh, it's a fantastic program but there is a moment in the final series where um, the main character Jimmy Perez Jimmy Perez This kind of world-weary but fantastic detective. There's a moment in this final series where he has to run into danger. And uh, it's all in slow motion. He's running one way towards danger. Everyone else in the town is running the other way. He's heading right into the heart of it, right into confine. It's really trivial. But it's, I think it's what we see here. A faithful Christian minister is the kind of person who runs towards, they run towards suffering and pain. They don't let that stop them. They don't let that stop them doing what they need to do, sharing the words that they need to share. Paul wasn't deterred. And the second thing Paul wasn't was this. Paul wasn't deceptive. Can you see that in verse 3? Look what he says, for our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. Verse 5, for we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. Paul says, I didn't come to you and I, I wasn't saying one thing and doing another thing. That's what makes us so angry, isn't it? When we find out that someone has been doing that. Maybe a politician or maybe, as we've seen a lot this week, a policeman. There's been a deception. Or we realize that we've been flattered the whole time someone has actually been working against us. It's painful. Paul wasn't like that. He was Paul was a what-you-see-is-what-you-get kind of person. He was sincere. With Paul, there was... There was no hidden agenda. There was never any mind games. Paul spoke plainly. It was the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. And why? Well, to continue speaking legalese, look at the end of verse 5. Look what he says. God is witness. Paul was totally transparent And Paul knew that God was watching. Later on, he'll say uh, that they are witnesses too of his uh, ministry. Everybody knows what Paul is like. Everybody knows what I'm like, he says. This is what Christian leaders are called to be. This is the kind of standard they are to be held to. So Paul wasn't deterred. Paul wasn't deceptive. And I think there's a third thing here, and it's linked uh, to all of this, Paul was not domineering. Paul didn't use his God-given authority in a demanding way. I think we see that towards the end of verse six. He says, though we could have made we could have made the de- demands as apostles of Christ, they, he didn't do that. They didn't seek glory from people. There have been uh, several scandals over the last uh, few years in the evangelical church world, and the reformed church world, very close to home tonight. Ministers have used their position to dominate and to demean other people. Many have been disqualified from ministry as a result. Paul wasn't like that. Paul didn't behave in a way that would have got him kicked out of ministry, Instead, look at how Paul did behave alongside the three things he didn't do. I think there's three things he did do. This is a seven point sermon in disguise. Okay, as one approved by God. How did how did Paul behave? How did Paul behave? Well look at verse seven. He says, We were gentle. The very first thing Paul wants to underline here uh, is that he was gentle. That word can be translated mild. It can be translated kind. I wonder if that's how you think instinctively the Apostle Paul was like. We looked at um, Isaiah 42 on New Year's Day. God said that when his servant came, what would he be like? He wouldn't shout aloud. He wouldn't cry out in the street a bruised reed. A bruised reed he wouldn't break, a smoldering wick he wouldn't snuff out. That is what the Lord Jesus Christ was like. He was gentle, he was lowly in heart. This is what Christian ministers are called to be like. And this gentleness, it's actually a really big theme in what we might call um, the pastoral epistles, 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus. If a person isn't like this, Well, according to the New Testament, they should not be in ministry. Listen to 1 Timothy chapter 3. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. And one of the qualifications is that an overseer, a Christian minister, is, as Paul puts it, not violent but Gentle. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 we read that the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. Not quarrelsome, but kind to everyone able to teach, not resentful. Titus chapter 1 potential elders are not to be overbearing. You see being a Christian minister can be hard. And a question that has to be asked of potential ministers is are they strong enough? Do they have a thick enough skin? Can they handle it? And yet we also need to ask, is this person, are they gentle enough? Paul was gentle. Look what he says. He says, remember what I was like when I was among you. I was like a mother. I was like a mother with her child. I cared for you. I was willing to share my whole self, my whole life with you. It's really intimate language, isn't it? And this is one of the real privileges of being a minister. It is being close to people. Hearing people's stories, their histories, learning about their suffering. Paul was gentle. Paul was also, secondly, a laborer. Can you see that in verse 9? Look what he says, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil, we work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. And it seems that what Paul is referring to here is that uh, his willingness to work hard, tent making is what we would call it, working hard so that he could also do his ministry so that uh, the Thessalonians didn't have to provide for him. Paul was not afraid to get his hands dirty, And some Christian leaders sometimes have to do that. There are elders, there are preachers who shepherd God's people. Maybe their congregations, they can't afford to pay them. Uh, They work while they do ministry work. I should say, I think really like all the elders in this church are working or retired. One of my very best friends does that. He works as a, a doctor, but also does a lot of ministry work. And one of the temptations uh, you face if you're in Christian ministry is overwork, not recognizing limits or boundaries or that kind of thing. But another temptation is laziness. Christian ministers are to be hard-working. You should think of them as hard-working people. If they're not, you should speak to them about it. Or speak to their presbytery about it. Pray that we as leaders, as ministers, pray that we would live holy and righteous and blameless lives. Pray that we would be hardworking. Pray that we would be laborers. Christian ministry is hard. And one of the reasons is because of what Paul says next in verse 12 Paul was gentle. But Paul was also one who had to exhort, he had to encourage, he had to charge these believers to walk in a way that would please God. What do these words mean? Exhort means ask, it means beg, it means plead, encourage means comfort, console, charge is to commend. And yet don't miss the fact that he says he spoke to them as a father. What does... What does that word father presuppose? It presupposes a relationship, doesn't it? He didn't come in and just blast them. Now, even when he was exhorting them and encouraging them and charging them, he was doing that as a, as a spiritual father. That was the tenor of it. Why was Paul to do all this? Look at the end of verse 12. Paul conducting himself in this way because these Christians, he said, had been called into God's kingdom and glory. Listen to how uh, John Stott puts it. He says, Paul appealed to the Thessalonians to live a life worthy both of their dignity now and of their destiny at the end. Their dignity and their destiny. Who we are and what we will be. Paul is saying, live like this, live consistently, live in a way that will glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll see him do this all through this letter, especially when we get to chapter 4. One of his jobs was to call God's people to live in a way that would glorify Christ. Um, Edward VIII, the king uh, who famously abdicated in December 1936, he said that when he was a boy, his father, um, George V, he would always say to him if he was about to go out and see the public or some kind of um, role or some uh, occasion, he would always say to him, my dear boy, you must always remember who you are. My dear boy, you must always remember who you are. It's just the same with us. We're to remember who we are. We're to remember whose we are. We're to remember as God's people we belong to the true King, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're called to live lives that glorify Him. This is what faithful ministry calls God's people to do. And I think Paul picks up this theme in verses uh, 13 to 16. Here's my second point tonight. In this passage, we don't just see a faithful ministry. We also see... A faithful response, a faithful response, verses 13 to sixteen. Now in these verses, what Paul's doing, I think he's reminding these young Christians of the way that their Christian lives began. That's a really good practice for us to do from time to time, to stop, to reflect on how our Christian lives got started, what God did in us. It's a great encouragement, especially for're struggling. Sometimes to to move forward as Christians, what we have to do is look back. And Paul does that here, and there's two things that he highlights. First thing uh, a faithful response means is welcoming God's Word. Can you see that? Paul is so thankful, verse 13, that when he came to Thessalonica, these people, they didn't just welcome him, they welcomed, they received the Word of God. And the key thing they recognized was its origin. It was not the word of men. This was one of the things that makes Christianity so unique, divine revelation. Christianity tells us we cannot know God just by doing good things, reaching up to him. We need, what do we need? We need a voice from outside. We need someone to come and speak to us, address us. And that idea, that is totally, I wonder if you can see, is totally at odds with our culture. Because in our culture today, we are being told that we can make up our own truth. We're being told from our earliest days that what we need to do is listen to the truth inside us. But that is a deception, now, I mentioned that uh, I was in Edinburgh the other day. I got the train there. And as I and others we were standing on the platform, there was about four minutes to uh, our departure time. This train pulled up. Where it looks like the right platform says it's going to Edinburgh. We all get on the train. And then the announcer says, this train is for Glenrothes. Now, what do you think happened when that announcement came? Everyone got a bit shifty. And then sort of talked to each other, got off the train, cornered uh, and a, a poor-looking guy in a ScotRail uniform. Uh, he said, what did he say? He said, they must have put the wrong code in. And so we all got on the train again. And uh, it passed the point of the time we were meant to leave. How do you think we all felt? We were all quite nervous. The train starts moving. And the announcer says, the next stop is Luker's. So we're okay. Friends, God's revelation is not like that. God's revelation is totally clear. You and I were called to trust it, love it, value it. Being a Christian is wonderful because you and I, we know the truth. And when God comes to us, he always tells the truth. That's what we want in our relationships, isn't it? God tells us the truth about him. God tells us the truth about us. God speaks to us. He comes, he exposes our need. He tells us bad news. But God also tells us wonderful good news. He speaks about our sin. But God also shows us our Savior. And so tonight, I wonder, do you love God's word? Do you love God's word, kids, students, grown-ups, older grown-ups? Is the word of God, is it a delight to you? Jesus said, man does not live on bread alone. Man does not live on tweets alone. Man does not live on 24-hour news cycles alone or Netflix alone. Man does not live on bread alone. Man needs, we need the word of God. Now, one of the things we're known for in this church uh, is a former minister, isn't it? Robert Murray McShane. And uh, one of the things that Robert Murray McShane is known for is uh, developing a program, a Bible, reading the whole Bible in a year program. Maybe some of you have used that in the past. It's It's not the only way to read God's Word. We can do it in lots of different ways, can't we? But isn't it great that he is known for that? He is known for, to, to, for being someone who loved God's Word, loved God's Word enough to put it all, arrange it all in a format so that people could read it. Wouldn't it be good if we were known, not just as uh, the church Robert Murray McShane was once the minister of, but as the church, a church that loves God's Word in a similar way? See, Paul was not in Thessalonica. He wasn't there to build his own ministry, build his own platform, boost his own ego. Paul was there as an announcer. And so let's pray for that. Let's pray for more of that. A faithful response. It means being people who welcome God's word, welcome it, welcoming it, accepting it, taking it in, recognizing its authority. But there's a second thing here. Faithful response also means weathering the storm. Weathering the storm. Look at verse 14. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, for you suffered. And he goes on. As these believers, as they welcomed God's word, some people said, You're not welcome here. And it's always this way, we see it again in verse 15, the repeated pattern again and again is that as God's word is, is accepted by some people, other people find that really unacceptable. And I think verse 15, it makes it clear that, that sometimes that opposition, it comes from very, very religious people, it comes from the people we would most expect to believe, See, just think of the Jews of Jesus' day. Think of all they knew, the Old Testament promises. They were waiting for the Messiah. And yet he came amongst them, and what did they do? They killed him. Why was that? Why was there such opposition? I think verse 16 gives us a clue. Can you see the reference to the Gentiles? And can you see back up in verse 15 the reference to all Mankind, can you see the reference to sin and wrath in verse sixteen two What does all this mean? One of the things people find most offensive about Jesus about the gospel is that it 's so inclusive. Everyone needs it. everyone needs Jesus, and one of the things that 's so offensive about the gospel is that religious pedigree privilege. None of that cancels out the realities of wrath and sin. Without Jesus, you and I, we are lost. But what I hope uh, you can see tonight is the connection. Can you see the connection? There's a connection between what Paul says about the Scriptures and what Paul sees about, says about suffering. You cannot have the former without the latter. If you love God's Word, then tonight you need to know that you will be hated for that love. You will always be hated by some people. That is the price. Listen to Paul in Philippians 1. He says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for his sake. Not only believe. Friends, believing and suffering, they go hand in hand. And so loving God's word, it's not like loving Shakespeare or Dickens. You can love Shakespeare. You can love Dickens. No one will ever think that is awful. But if we love God's word, there will always be some you think it is. And the real pain tonight in this room is that some of us have people who are like that to us, even in our own families, even, even under our own roofs. That is why we need each other as God's people. That is why we need to keep encouraging one another. That's why we need to keep looking to the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, it wasn't all uh, meetings for me on Wednesday. I did uh, get to go to the art gallery, which I like to do. And uh, some of you might uh, remember that last summer, last summer, an unknown portrait of uh, Vincent van Gogh, it was discovered in Edinburgh. It was hidden for over a century. It was found on the back of a canvas... And what had happened was the curators, they'd x-rayed the painting and they could see this self-portrait of Van Gogh. And I think this passage is like like that. Under the surface of this text, under the surface of it is someone else, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because this passage, it doesn't just show us what a faithful ministry is like. It doesn't just show us what a faithful response is like, as important as those things are. It shows us our faithful Savior. It shows us the Lord Jesus Christ because tonight we need to know he is the one who endured suffering for us. He is the one for whom opposition did not deter him. He is the one who always spoke the truth. Isaiah calls him the everlasting father. He's the one who reveals the father and what did he say as he approached his death? He said, O oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? He's the holy, he's the righteous, he's the truly blameless one. This evening, you and I, if we Christians, we've been called into his kingdom. And it is our privilege as God's people to follow him. Well, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we uh, think about this passage, we want to pause and we want to thank you for uh, all those who first told us about the Lord Jesus Christ. For some of us, it was parents. For others, friends ministers and others we thank you for each one of them and we pray that you'd help us to live lives that honor the Lord Jesus Christ thank you for Paul's example to us and we pray that we would have that attitude we would love and welcome your word that we'd be willing to suffer and we pray all this in Jesus name this evening and for his sake for his glory Amen. Well, we're going to uh, close by singing a wonderful hymn together tonight. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. My great Redeemer's praise, the glories of my God and King, the triumphs of His grace. Let's stand and praise God together.